a big week. We've got a lot to talk about this week, but I wanted to start off by kicking this over to you, Lucas. I think I think it's for the both of us, but I wanted you to lead off on this because uh, in between the time of recording uh, the last uh, thing we recorded, which is our most recent ECL Origins, and this episode of Elwood City Limits, the Episodic Arthur podcast, um, we had a very... Uh, 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 a hard loss to the film community that I think that you and I both have uh, at least opinions, perhaps feelings about, and that's the great director William Friedkin. So oh I wanted goodness. to give you a little bit of a little bit of air to because you had a very nice uh, memorial for Paul Rubens who passed away on mm-hmm. our recently released uh, top five episode for and, and season seventeen recap. And I figured you might have a little to say about Mr. Friedkin. Yeah, all these kind of uh, show business legends uh, passing away in the same week. Uh, Friedkin is, you know, uh, it's no surprise to anybody who's been listening to this show for a while. I'd consider myself a pretty big cinephile. Um, And I've always said that Friedkin is one of, if not the, you know, American masters. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you go back to probably my favorite era of American movies, the seventies, um, Friedkin's work in the seventies, like his run of, uh, exorcist, the French connection sorcerer is pretty much the best run of three movies I could think of. Um, it's, it's just kind of a profound body of work. I also am particularly fond of, uh, to live and die in LA, other people like Cruisin and some of his more recent movies. He's had a bit of a comeback with Bug and Killer Joe. Um, but just the master of making these kind of gritty, um, somewhat nihilistic, uh, 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 hard-edged films with all shades of gray. Um, and, you know, the work stands alone. They're all just those movies I listed there are, is a legendary body of work. But in recent years, he had sort of a um, almost Herzog-esque. In the public eye, Friedkin was known to like say all these crazy things. He was never a bad interview, always a great Q&A, always a great on director's commentary. And it's been great to see all these clips come out on social media. The great story about Exorcist 2, how um, <laughs> he's recounting the story about Exorcist 2 where the uh, producers are in the room of the test screening and the guy stands up and he's like, the people who made this piece of <laughs> are in this room. Um, and then there's all the great stories of of him. It, uh, my personal favorite's probably the, the, have you ever seen the interview with him and Nicholas Reffin? Yes, there's a there's a cl- there's a clip going going around on Twitter that I retweeted. It's it's yeah, yeah. that that clip itself is very funny. Yeah, yeah. We won't know about Drive for the next thirty years. Uh, no, he's just just uh, such a larger than life personality. And in terms of my personal uh, filmmaking sensibility, what I like to see in American movies, uh, it doesn't get much better than The Exorcist, French Connection, and Sorcerer. So yeah, I bought. I think there's a pretty good uh, 4K scan uh, that just came out of To Live or Die in L.A., and so I pulled the trigger on that. I'm pretty frugal when it comes to ordering physical media these days, but uh, not a lot of his stuff is on, like, a quality Blu-ray, so I thought I'd pick that up. Uh, But, yeah, sad to see William Friedkin the go. What about you, Will? Well, I think this is why I kind of wanted you to lead off because you have a bit more experience with his filmography. But I've seen a few of his movies, and they are really. Um, you, you said you know he's a, he's kind of a, a singular figure, and there's a kind of craft to what he was doing. And I hate to sound pretentious, but I'm also, you know, very much a cinephile, and. You really a lot of a lot of them, especially the ones that he made in the seventies, are made with such a such a of a, a vision. By which I mean, there's not a lot of movies that are made these days, and I don't mean to you know. There's lots of great movies that are made these days, but very confident. Like there's a lot of confidence in the movies that he makes. Like I was watching Sorcerer with my friends recently and this and it was a first time for me i really enjoyed it and my friends were a little bit put off by like it does not follow it's a typical narrative structure it doesn't 
really go places you expect it to go. And I'd say the same with The Exorcist if you're watching it for the first time, which is one of my favorite movies. I love it. And The French Connection as well. It's not your typical action movie. Mm. And I watched a more modern one of his recently, uh, Bug, which to me was another example of him taking a play. Like, the, like Bug is meant to be a play. It's, it's, it's a scripted play. And making it filmic in a way that is probably ve- would probably be very challenging for a lot of directors, but he made it look so effortless. Um, so yeah, I wanted to give a little bit of time there because we always we always talk about movies on here. We always talk about directors, and I think that it was important for us to kind of note these as they happen, as we as we have been doing. Well, especially because um, when yeah. we we I, I like to think that me and you try and be as smart as possible when we're dissecting our weekly baby <laughs> show. Yeah, um, and I think it's important <laughs> yeah. for the audience to know kind of what our background is and and what kind of stuff that we're into outside of Arthur. Um, and you know, I would count to live and die in L.A. and and Sorcerer uh, as amongst my favorite movies ever. So if anybody's mm-hmm. listening to this and they think, man, I wonder what those two Arthur guys are into when they're not watching wrestling, um, I would you know, I if you haven't seen those two movies at least because there's a kind of more. Less well known than The Exorcist and French Connection, which both were nominated for or won Oscars. Uh, yeah. Definitely, definitely check them out. And one last thing I'll say, because you were talking about um, how he's kind of singular, singular and how it's not following the format of other Hollywood movies. And I'll also say that there's something in the William Friedkin kind of writing and filmmaking sensibility that's totally gone from the Hollywood today, which is that um, there's sort of a lack of care for what the audience thinks. And they're sort of like, no, no, Mm. this is my story. Um, You know, French Connection is an ugly story about, with a a very uh, kind of as mean-spirited and ugly as your protagonist can be. But that's kind of the whole point, right? And it kind of dares you to spend this story with this character. Um, And I think a little bit more of that in today's Hollywood would go a long way. And uh, The Exorcist and Sorcerer, sorry, not The Exorcist, uh, The French Connection and Sorcerer, two great Roy Scheider performances, one of my favorite actors, rest in peace as well. So yeah, a little bit there about us, Will Young here, Lucas Mancini. Uh, So, okay, it's a jam-packed show, so we're going to keep it moving here. I quickly want to touch on something that we brought up recently on Elwood City Limits, that is the book, the Arthur book ban in Florida. Very quickly, it was that many... Like I think it was, if not dozen, if not hundreds, then dozens of books were challenged in the county of Clay County, Florida, by one guy, including Arthur's birthday for the use of "Spin the Bottle," which is was promote, promoting with children. It's very, very silly. Uh, it seems to be the last word on this that Arthur's birthday will be coming back to shelves in Florida. Last week, the school district oversight committee for Clay County, Florida. Uh, announced they will be putting the book back on shelves for kids after it was challenged along with 44 other books by Bruce Friedman. So I should have read my own script, 44 other books. However, half of those books that were challenged will be removed from libraries, which are considerably more adult novels, such as Stephen King's Carrie, Sophie's Choice, and more, which is also not good. But Arthur seems to be safe for right now. And I just wanted to follow up on that thing that we talked about there. I, uh, sometimes people can get into the weeds about this stuff. You know, we're Canadian, so I uh, try not to fixate on things that are totally outside of my realm or outside of my control. We're obviously following this story because it's Arthur-related, and that's our bread and butter. But I got to say, people in the Discord have been talking about other stuff going down in Florida. Someone was talking about Shakespeare uh, being Ugh. banned, and um, I, you know... I think people could tend to be really hyperbolic when they're talking about politics uh, and they throw around terms, uh, you know, references to stuff like the Third Reich, but you don't get much more uh, kind of Third Reich than banning Shakespeare. I think it's pretty abhorrent uh, and about as, as cartoonishly, you know, as, as cartoonishly 1980 Thor as we could get. So uh, my thoughts go out to everybody experiencing this stuff in, in um, Florida right now. Just horrible. Absolutely agreed. Um, let's go now to our emails. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com is where you can send correspondence to us. We've got two emails this week. The first one is from Pav. 
Hi guys, first time listener, lifetime Arthur viewer. It's really great to finally meet people that dissect and critically analyze Arthur characters. My first listen was episode 203, so three episodes ago. I noticed in this episode, you mentioned wrestling and are definitely fully in on the product, given you know about Vince McMahon rewriting scripts. This brings me to an Arthur question I've had for a long time. As a kid, I was very confused when I saw Francine mention in an Arthur fantasy scenario where Binky is in a wrestling ring. She referred to Hulk Hogan as Hollywood Hogan, but later realized why when I watched Nitro. Now, Pav, I'm going to have to cut you off here. This is what this is what I meant to do. I really appreciate the email here. But so you're talking about the episode where all the kids write the different stories and they're in different styles. So there's like the South Park story, the Dr. Katz story, and in Francine's story, it's Arthur in the ring with Hogan, and then with a bunch of boxers. It's Francine and Binky's story. I'm afraid you misheard. In the in the episode, Francine says Hulk Hogan. Uh, Pav brings this up because they go on to say, um, was this episode during the 96-98 peak when WCW, World Championship Wrestling, was the number one company? Was this a sign of how Arthur was always in tune with the times? Actually, it kind of shows you where probably the writers were with wrestling at that time. Also, not to consider the fact that that episode probably would have been released in like 97, 98. So a um, little bit of professional wrestling history here. Uh, Hulk Hogan became known as Hollywood Hulk Hogan starting in uh, the second half of 1996. So that would have been right around the time Arthur was premiering. Um, so by the time this episode that we're talking about aired, it would have been probably, yeah, 97, 98, somewhere in there. And he would have been Hollywood Hogan for a couple of years. But in the episode, they referred to him as Hulk Hogan. He also doesn't really look like Hulk Hogan because they didn't really, I'm guessing, have the likeness rights. So they just kind of used a simulacrum that looked similar enough uh, to Hulk Hogan. Yeah, so it wasn't a WCW uh, reference that Francine was making. She did refer to him as Hulk Hogan, which even people who don't watch wrestling would have known who Hulk Hogan is. So they, Hollywood Hogan, mm, maybe maybe not as much outside of the bubble. Uh, P.S. I, ho I hold hope that someone can buy the rights off Endeavor one day and relaunch the company while Ted Turner is still alive to see it. Uh yeah, well, we'll we'll see. For now, AEW is the best uh, thing we have. Yeah, uh, close to WCW. Anyway, Pav, I'm sorry. I I don't mean to burst your bubble, but it's one of those things where um, I've been committing those older Arthur episodes to memory. Like I can hear that Francine line in my head when I was reading your email. I'm just like, I'm sorry. It what she did say, Hulk Hogan. Wait, just clearing up a little bit. But Pav, thank you so much. You've got so much more, many more episodes to listen to, including the one where we talk about that episode. So uh, best best of luck. Our second one is from a patron of ours, Tiki Barber fan. Hi, Will, Lucas, and I suppose Mike. I hope this email finds you well. I'm happy to finally be able to reach out to you. I don't remember how I discovered it, but I found your podcast when you were already up to episode 139, the one discussing Phony Fern and Brain's shocking secret in January 2021. I'm not really sure why, but I wanted to go through the entire backlog before reaching out. Oh, good heavens. Bless you. Uh, the the backlog continues to grow, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's a bit of an undertaking. And we appreciate everybody who... Uh, listens to the whole thing. I just wanted to let you both know how much I appreciate your podcast. I historically haven't been a big podcast person, but I have thoroughly enjoyed each episode you two have done. I feel like I've done, gone through major life events with both of you. Job changes, Will getting married, a certain global pandemic that occurred, and more. I was born the year that Arthur premiered, so it's pretty much been a part of my life as far as I can remember. It felt strange when it finally ended, but it's been great hearing you two go over episodes I remember from years ago as well as some of the newer ones I'm not familiar with. ECL has been great to listen to when driving or playing video games or really anything. The podcast has been there for me through some tough times, and for that I am thankful. Lucas also sounds like a friend of mine who I don't get to see as much as I like, so that's cool. I wish you best for the rest of the podcast, as well as in your personal and professional lives, and just know I'll be listening happily to whatever you two put out. Thanks again. Well, that's really nice, and we always appreciate when you guys stay stuff like that, and there have been some many, many great emails and correspondences throughout the years, and that's one of them. Thank you, Pav. Thank you, T Tiki Barber fan, and everyone else who emails. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. It's the start of a new season, Lucas. 
And so it's time for a little bit up front as we begin Arthur Season 18. This season happened between September, it, sorry, it happened, it aired between September 2014 and September 2015. September 14 to September 15, Lucas, where were you? Man, this September 2015, now we're really starting to get into my adult life here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is around when me and you met. I would have been just moving, there, yeah. yeah, just moving out of the city uh, to the rural radio station job uh, where me and you met and then eventually started Elwood City Limits. That's right. So September 2014, by by then I'm a couple of months into that rural radio job where eventually, I mean, Lu- Lucas, by this point in the timeline of Arthur, we've already met uh, at school, but we're not like friends yet no uh we're friendly but you know i never i once i moved to the country essentially i didn't think i'd be seeing you again but over the course from september 2014 to september 2015 you became one of my co-workers and then uh we decided to well no we're not we're not there yet but you would become one of my co-workers pretty pretty soon and for the Arthur season we have ahead, we have a couple of cast changes here, and a couple of these you can find out about in this episode we're going to talk about. William Healy is replacing Drew Adkins as the voice of Arthur. Andrew Dayton is replacing Jake Beale as the voice of DW. And Max Friedman Cole is replacing Siam Yu as the brain, which we will hear starting in episode six. I also got this anecdote about the season from Peebs, who is also one of our patrons and a great friend of the show. Peebs says, Nine Story Media, who produce, who are producing Arthur at this time, had both season 18 and season 19 in production at the same time, which we have been known them to do. Arthur likes to kind of double up on the seasons and uh, air them within a couple of years of each other. A batch of 20 new episodes, which got divided up into the familiar 10-episode seasons. That's 18 and 19. One interesting point about this is that PBS aired the episodes out of order. For example, using the PBS episode numbers, number 1802 aired first out of this batch. This kind of thing happened before, but this time the whole season was mixed up, and some of season 19 aired before season 18 had even concluded. So the sense of distinct seasons is kind of blurred at this point in the show history. And we've gotten some emails and correspondence before of like, oh, why did you do this one first? Uh, you know, why th- this one aired before this one? We're going by the Wikipedia episode order, and j- just just to keep things straight, to keep us sane. Uh, so if you notice. So oh, the, oh, I saw this one before I saw this one. Understood. We're going to be going by that. Se- we're going to be going by that episode order. And now we're into season eighteen. We're going to start off with the friend who wasn't there. And you know, it's funny. This kind of happened to us at the beginning of the previous season of Arthur, where right away we get into an aspect of the show that maybe isn't our favorite. And this. Kind, kinda. I, I think we have varying opinions, depending on the day, about the imaginary friend characters in Arthur. It's certainly been a while since we've really checked in with Nadine specifically, though. Yes, that's right. And and this is completely focused on Nadine. Uh, this cold open here is pretty much inside of her life and the life of an imaginary friend. She lives in this room. Of that is decorated with all kinds of DW paraphernalia. So she wakes up in a bed. There's like a, a, a bigger than life size standee of DW. There's pictures of DW. It's all about her. And there's a few rules to being an imaginary friend. And Nadine tells us this. You must always appear when you're summoned. You always have to be in a good mood. You always have to tell your real friend what they want to hear. And eventually, and I kind of, I thought maybe we would be following up on this specifically with Nadine, but she does say at the end that your friend will outgrow you someday. There's a little cloud, there's a little cloud there. And we've, that's something that we've talked about in one previous episode. I don't remember off the top of my head which one it was, but the fact that Nadine is not going to be there for DW forever. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention that it seemed for a little bit that they were straight up going to write Nadine out of the show. 
that was kind of the big ender to one of the seasons, one of the seasons recently. And I was saying, this is interesting if they actually make Nadine go away. But so far, they've been having their cake and eating it too, and Nadine's been showing up here and there. But this is the first time, I think, since that episode, we've had a Nadine kind of focused app. And 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 I also thought it was going to be a focus on her, but eh, not really. I will also say again, DW is one of the new voices this season. Andrew Dayton sounds practically identity uh, identical to Jake Beale. Like if if I hadn't have looked that up myself, I wouldn't have known those were two different voice actors. Yeah, it was Nadine's voice that I felt felt more different. I I barely even noticed DW. So the actual episode, it's a Muffy episode. Uh, when Muffy is out uh, shopping for gloves, because this is a winter-based episode, she runs into DW and notices her talking to herself. Now, we don't often see DW talking to Nadine, like, out in public, but it it has been known to happen once in a while, and Muffy is really weirded out by this. She even, she even like, asks DW, who are you talking to? And she says, Nadine, and introduces Nadine to Muffy, and... When she brings this up later to Francine, Buster, and Arthur, they are very nonchalant about it. It's just like, oh, DW has an imaginary friend. We all had imaginary friends. And Muffy feels a little weird that she didn't have any imaginary friends when she was growing up. We get whoa, a, whoa, we, whoa, whoa. I know yeah, yeah. that this is a jam-packed episode, Will. But we can't. We gotta go run down these imaginary friends. Well, uh, right, right, right. That's the, exactly what I was getting to. Of like, <laughs> there is there is a sequence here where uh, the three of them talk about the imaginary friends that they've had. And I'll just quickly say, Arthur says like S- Stanley, his bear, is kind of the closest he's ever had. Now, let's start with Francine. Francine talks about an imaginary friend that she had called Squinty McGee, who is a crocodile who is also a sea captain. And yar, he kind of talks like this. He's got like the maritime accent. Yeah. He talks like the captain from Simpsons. Yes, precisely. And all of his stories are about Catherine. So he's got a story about like, I, I chewed holes in her jeans. But I know that you really want to get to Buster's menagerie of, of imaginary friends. Because Buster says he had five. I wrote them he, all down. Do you have them? I do have them. Okay, so, d- yeah. Okay. So I'll 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 say their name and then you kind of give me a description. So the first one is Top Eye. Top Eye kind of looks like Orb from Quake Three. Uh, it is an eyeball <laughs> wearing a top hat and he has dress shoes on with little arms. There's Billy Snail Goat. Billy Snail Goat is a snail with a goat's head. <laughs> Pretty self-explanatory on that one. Um, this one not Frumpus. Okay, Frumpus, it's like, these are getting weirder and weirder. Frumpus looks like a bunch of squiggles with kind of like a Muppet nose. Like, he looks Mm. like he has, like, a nose like one of the secondary Muppets. uh, And bloodshot red eyes, like he's been smoking weed or something. Uh, The fourth one is Pudding Pal, which I had to look up at the Arthur Wiki because I didn't know what Buster was saying. Okay, Pudding Pal... Um, is actually a massive, like, Arthur retcon and plot hole. Um, okay. Somehow, Buster had an imaginary friend that's pal, but made of chocolate, or I guess made of pudding, um, years before pal was even born or Arthur had adapted adopted pal. So this has never mm. come up, but, like, it's literally pal, like pal the character. It's not just putting pal in name. I'm pausing it. I'm looking at it right now. It's like a pudding version of pal. Uh, so apparently, you know, Buster is no- Nostradamus or something, and he can see the future only pudding version. We could also say Buster, I don't know if he says a specific age that he had these. So it could very well be that Buster only recently got rid of this imaginary friend. True, true. Uh, And then the fifth one is, his name is, uh, his name is Junior. And this is like a Homestar Runner character that never was. I wrote down the same thing. This is very much a Homestar Runner joke. Like specifically like a Sweet Cup and Cakes character. It's this... (laughs) It's like this muscle-bound bearish creature that's colored green. It lives in it, it. Like it's got one of those barrels, like in those old cartoons about somebody being poor. Like they're they've got the barrel with the suspenders over them, and it communicates in like horn noises. 
Yeah, like 1930s like Ford Model T car horn noises. Yeah, it's it's so off the wall and they must have they must have had a great time coming up with all of these and Buster finishes by saying they all one day took a cruise to the Bermuda Triangle and vanished. I uh maybe it's cuz I just watched Evo this past weekend, but <laughs> okay. I I almost won a fighting game with all of their imaginary <laughs> friends. You could even throw in the the sucky ones that the new characters came up with. This is what I was looking for, Will. They could be so creative with the imaginary friends. All of Buster's five, his whole crew, um each one of them are more creative than um Oh my goodness, I can't even remember. Bud and, uh, what's Bud's sister's La- name? LaDonna. LaDonna and Bud's imaginary friends, like that dinosaur, so basic. You know, yeah. compared to uh, Topeye and, and Billy Snail Goat. And, and they feel appropriately like something a child would come up with. Yeah, definitely. Which, which, which we're get, again, we're guessing that Buster was like four or five, but maybe he was eight. Maybe he was eight. I don't know. Never says. So Muffy talks to Bailey, and Bailey seems to remember that Muffy did have an imaginary friend when she was around three years old. He remembers the name as Oswald. So he takes Muffy down to the basement so that they can search around her old stuff to find Oswald. I loved this visual gag of they go down to the basement and Muffy's Muffy's memories, her stuff from early childhood, and again, Muffy's only eight years old, are all organized like it's Costco. So there are giant overhanging signs of like Muffy, age two, and Bailey said it took him most of his 30s to organize. As somebody who is a perpetual organizer... I loved this. I th- wonderful job, Bailey. So I thought but, this was so grim. Like, it's recontextualized. Oh yeah? I thought Bailey was some guy that they hired to take care of Buffy. Now I feel like Bailey is, like, indentured servitude. Like, his dedication <laughs> to the Crosswire family. Get out of here, Alfred. Because Bailey is, is I don't certainly putting the Crosswires and their legacy before himself. Yes, he's very devoted to the job, as, as we found out. Um, so Muffy goes looking through this. Bailey drives her there in like a golf cart, and then he has to away to the kitchen to help with something. So Muffy's left to look at her own. Uh, throughout, we see there's like a box of woogles on the shelf. There's also, she has a sled called Rosebud. Ha ha ha. And she ends up coming across a box of largely stuffed toys that sort of falls on her, and we don't get the beginning of the dream sequence noise but we can assume that from this point on most of this is a dream she runs into a smelly torn up elephant doll that doesn't remember its name and accompanies her while she is looking for this oswald um and he's he's what what did you think of this little guy lucas he's got like only one eye he's kind of torn in the back very well loved as a parent might say He's kind of cute, but again, a little bit mid for my taste. A little bit generic, just kind of a stuffed elephant. Um, we've got a long history of little elephant characters in children's media, from Dumbo uh, to the uh, Snuffleupagus, uh, who eventually became kind of like a more cute version and just a regular character in the Winnie the Pooh canon. Or not Snuffleupagus, uh, Huffleumps and Woozles, rather. Snuffleupagus, Snuffleupagus also is also kind of an elephant. And imaginary. Is Wait, Snuffleupagus isn't real? Big Bird was the only one who could see him? <laughs> and us, because we were special. Really? I don't remember this. I think, because it, I, I, it's so easy for me to accept a giant mammoth. There was monsters living on the street, so I was like, okay, but there's a giant bird, why wouldn't there be a mammoth? That's crazy that only Big Bird could see him. That's crazy. Maybe it's like a Polar Express situation where it's like the older you get and don't believe in Christmas, the less that you can see Snuffleupagus or something. Um, So the Muffy and this elephant who doesn't get a name until the end. Wonder who he could be. Uh, One of their obstacles along the way is a giant, what I thought was a Polly Locket doll, because it looks like the Polly Locket doll from seasons and seasons ago, but they refer to her as Pretty Penny, who is the century of the archives down here and will will file them away if found while they're here muffy runs into the arthur gang that she's been talking to before arthur buster francine as characters from the wizard of oz how long well, uh, sorry i should say how did it take this long 
to get the Arthur characters into the Wizard of Oz costumes. This has, I don't think they've done this before, right? I'm trying to remember, because surely there's been a Wizard of Oz parody. Re- like reference um, or something. Yeah. yeah. And there's been so many kind of Wizard of Oz-esque situations. You know, the the episodes where um, DW goes to that other world to meet the thesaurus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so Wizard of Oz, complete with kind of Arthur being the stand-in for the witch. But I guess there's never been this much of a one-to-one parody. And it it just it just seems like man it it feels like it took us a really long time to get around to specifically the Wizard of Oz with uh, D W is Dorothy Francine is the Cowardly Lion Arthur is the Tin Man and Buster is the Scarecrow Buster has a great line as the Scarecrow where he says if we only had brain very good very good I, I appreciate that uh, and they talk about the great and powerful Oswald. Uh, which seems to be what Muffy is looking for. As they go along, there is a there is an appropriate uh, yellow trail, which standed for the yellow brick ro- road in the basement. Eventually, Muffy finds a computer that is seeming is seemingly the great and powerful Oswald. This was a little bit. I don't I don't know about this. The it, the computer is not really a computer. It's one of those things. It's almost like um, Plankton's wife in SpongeBob, where it's like the screen with the green line to represent when it's talking. And it represents the things that replaced Oswald. So toys, computers, and gadgets, saying that eventually Muffy got tired of toys and, or rather I should say like stuffed animals and imaginary friends and moved on to this stuff, which Muffy is pretty uh, technologically savvy. And we've always seen her with the latest computers and cameras and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, if this episode th- came out today, uh, it would be Roblox and iPad <laughs> uh, and Skibbity Toilet videos. You and the Skibbity Toilet videos. That's what, that's all I know that Jed Alpha likes. I, I got my Jed Z references in the bag, but the first time I've ever heard Jed Alpha referenced in enjoying something, it's been Skibbity Toilets. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude, you know, okay, so this isn't, this isn't Gen Alpha, but I was actually speaking with um, a friend, a friend of my wife's has several kids who are like, ranging from like 10 to 14. And the one who's 14 is really into Team Fortress 2. Team Fortress, okay, well, wait a minute, because there's a through line, right? Because Skibbity Toilets... It's, and by the way, folks, if, if you're listening to this, you don't know what we're talking about. Just Google it. It's, <laughs> that's a whole other thing to explain. But Skibbity Toilets is made with Gary's Mod, right? Yeah, with Gary's Mod. Yeah. Exactly. And it very much, there's a through line there between Skibbity Toilets and Team Fortress 2. But my friend told me that they fixed Team Fortress 2 and that you could play it now. Because for the while, it was like unplayable due to hacking and stuff. Um, I, I mean, I guess so. But it, it, was, it was the last thing I expected of just like, you know what I'm really into? Team Fortress 2. And I'm like, Team Fortress 2? You know, I was, I was, I, I literally had to like, back in my day, I had to buy the orange box to play Team Fortress 2. And I, I never felt older until the next time I feel old. <laughs> anyway, I'm. thank you for reminding me that. I had to say that. Um, we see a flashback of Lil Muffy of maybe about three years old. I thought her character model three years old was very cute uh, where she's playing with her imaginary friend and offering him cereal. And then she puts her whole face into the cereal bowl. She's then captured by pretty penny current Muffy is, but then she wakes up and realizes that it was a dream. And the reveal here is that what she thought was Oswald is actually the elephant whose name is Waldo. And that was Muffy's imaginary friend. And, and, and he's been at her side the whole time. And uh, yeah, uh, and Muffy takes him out of storage. And the episode ends with her going off to play with him and embrace her imagination. Because she was afraid that maybe she maybe she's not an imaginative person because she didn't have an imaginary friend. But now it seems that she's got it back. There's one other thing, Lucas, I wanted to point out here. In this final scene, Muffy is at Arthur's place. She's telling him about what happened. And Arthur is getting ready to play a video game, Curse of the Moomy Part 3, which we've seen Arthur play, I'm guessing, the original Curse of the Moomy. And it's on this, like, knockoff PS1-type game system that he has. And Curse of the Moomy Part 3 is like a five-disc game. 
Did, yeah. you, did you notice that? That's wild. Curse of the Mummy, it's like when they were talking about how if they ported Metal Gear Solid 4 to the Xbox 360, it was going to be like 12 discs. <laughs> um, I just like that uh, Arthur's, whatever the game system is in Arthur, is a little bit like the Lappy, again, from Homestar Runner, in that you could kind of trace what time period this is supposed to be, even though this episode came out in 2014. It's like, oh, Arthur's still on PS1. Um, cause it very much looks like a PS one with the big top loader disc and the big gray system. Um, and remember how in the early seasons of Arthur, sometimes when you would watch, you know, two episodes together, there'd be a very loose thing pairing the two episodes. Like it wouldn't even be a thematic through line, but like a small side detail. Well, yeah. the small side detail that, uh, combines the friend who wasn't there with surprise, uh, is that they both have the PS one in them. Because we see the fake <laughs> PS1 in this segment, and then it'll show up in an early moment in Surprise. That's right. Uh, Lucas, I, I have it here. I looked up most amount of discs uh, for console game. I actually have this for the PS1. Give me a guess. What game do you think had the most discs for the PS1, and, what, and, and how many discs? Uh, was it Final Fantasy IX? It was going to be my guess. I also thought it was going to be a Final Fantasy game, but no. There's two games that had eight CDs. Phantasmagor- oh, my word. Phantasmagoria and Black Dahlia, and EverQuest 2 had nine. Goes to show that more discs does not necessarily equal better <laughs> video game. Not a great game make. No, exactly. And now a word from us kids. This one's interesting. Uh, kids, so they're, they very u- loosely kind of tie into the episode and then go to their own thing. They're just like, Muffy was kind of going back in time with her imaginary friend. So we're going to build a time machine and go back in time. I'm like, all right, sure. So it, the it, kids It's build- made even like crazier because the kids bring up the plot of the episode only to disregard <laughs> it. Yeah. So they build a time machine out of cardboard and their project is to travel across various times and places. So it'll be groups of kids, two or three, and they will go to different parts of the world at different times. So uh, there's ancient Egypt, there's France, there's Rome, there's South Africa, uh, China, Hawaii. All the kids, they go into the time machine in their groups and they come out with their period costumes on. The one in South Africa was cool. It was like a kid dressed as Nelson Mandela. And I thought that was really uh, a cool one to do. Also, much like the older Word From Us Kids segments, all of the presentations that they do in their costumes are done in like this kind of half sing song type of way. Like, Nelson Mandela was from South Africa. Like, it doesn't rhyme, but it's but it reminds me of some of the older ones, like, na 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 pizza head, egg head, you know? Yeah, great standout word from us kids segment, really creative work from these kids. Now, not to cancel these children, okay? Oh. But the China presentation, it's it could have been a Ninja Turtles presentation. Like... <laughs> I don't know if those masks were the most accurate accurate representation of feudal China, uh, nor do I think the kung fu noises. And pretty much the only factual piece of information they share about China is that it's where the Great Wall is. Uh, again, these which, are which children. True. These are, you know, elementary school students, and I'm sure no <laughs> ill will was intended. But I was like, what's with these masks? Like... I think they just found something about China that resonated with their young hearts and they wanted to be very enthusiastic about it. And I choose to believe that, you know, this being what, five, six, seven, almost 10 years ago, I'm sure these kids went on to learn a lot more about China in their into their adulthood. One, one could hope. <laughs> Supporting this podcast is how it keeps going, and it's very easy to do. So here's how you can do that. If you're listening to this show and want to get the full back catalog of Elwood City Limits and all of its sister shows and offshoots, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even more services. You can also go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits, for the full back catalog. If we aren't on a service you use, please let us know. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter, at ECL Podcast. Instagram, at 
at Elwood City Limits and twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits pod for our occasional streams. We're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can email us and your email might be read on the show, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Finally, for exclusive content including entire side series like For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast, and ECL Origins, subscribe to us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. That's all for now. Thanks a lot for listening. And now, back to the show. Surprise! That's the name of the episode. It's another exclamation mark episode. Always appreciate those. It begins with Francine wondering what it would be like to be invisible. The good aspects and the bad aspects. So, for example, you could eat a whole plate of cookies and nobody would know you did it. And we get we get we get a little bit of the humorous Oliver Frensky in this one because Oliver's in this episode quite a bit and He's got this plate of cookies, and he's like, you know, Catherine, don't eat these cookies. And Francine is invisible. She eats all of them. He initially blames Catherine, and he says, well, they didn't eat themselves. And then in front of him, Francine eats the rest of him. As he is looking at the plate, and he goes, I stand corrected. So it was just a, it's just a really good classic Oliver Frensky thing. I just, I wish, I wish they'd run with him being a bit more goofy. Maybe, maybe there's still time. This ties into what Francine is really trying to get at because there was a time when her sister Catherine, her older sister Catherine, pretended like she didn't exist. Now, Lucas, there's a couple of times in this where we see some mean stuff that Catherine has done to her. And it's often with this friend of hers who we've seen this character model before in the episode where Muffy is wants to have her first kiss and that's like one of Catherine's friends um and she is a very willing participant in like being mean to Francine as an older sibling did you have like a partner in crime uh, like did you ever enlist a friend to annoy your little sister not really i think what we now this is a lot of speculation on my part because i think the older brother younger sister dynamic is pretty different than, say, the older brother-younger brother dynamic or the older sister-younger brother dynamic or, as portrayed here, the older sister-younger sister dynamic. I think Mm -hmm. older brother-younger sister, we just pretty much didn't have that much in common, so we kind of stayed away from each other. Um, Whereas I think the older sister, whether it's a younger brother or a younger sister, could be a lot more cruel uh, and gets a lot more like schadenfreude out of the suffering of their younger sibling. Um, So I never really experienced this. The most I would say is like, I guess, you know, being annoyed by having the younger sibling around and coming up with schemes to get rid of them, perhaps. Yeah, I, I I also think my personal experience is a little bit different than this. My older sister, her friends were always pretty nice to me. Now, she was pretty clear about keeping boundaries of, like, I didn't hang out with them. And then and also, it was, like, a bunch of girls, like, and I was, like, seven. Why would I want to hang out with girls? But they were always pretty nice to me. So I don't have this experience either. So... Keeping this invisible thing in mind, Francine has this idea to get back at Catherine, which we're going to see in the episode. She even opens this book, and this haunting, ghoulish green light comes out of it and underlights her face, and she does a very evil laugh. So the actual episode starts with Francine and Catherine on on on, on a good, or on neutral ground at least. Francine's trying to figure out what she wants to get her for her 16th birthday, so they have an eight-year age gap, which is all is very similar to me and my sister. My sister is seven years older than me, so pretty close. But we finally get a confirmation that Catherine is. I, I, I guess she's turning sixteen now, but you know she's always been fifteen, sixteen years old. Francine is not exactly sure what to get her. We get a couple of ideas here from uh, Buster and Binky and. Arthur talks about one time when DW made him a hat out of a swim cap and loofahs for his birthday. And we get a little cutaway that shows him wearing it, and Binky makes fun of him. But then Arthur ends that story by being like, yeah, and I also got this weird rash from it. Like, oh, that's that's really, that's not very good. But Francine is, is excited to get Catherine something. She's excited to be part of her birthday. But she has to be told by Oliver that she isn't invited 
to Catherine's party. Uh, he tries to let her down easy by saying, like, well, she doesn't want any ki- little kids at her birthday. And Francine really doesn't get even he even says, like, Catherine hasn't invited you to the birthday. And she's like, I don't I don't get it. She's really dejected by this. Uh, she, in fact, confronts her right away. And there's a funny line where Catherine says, Dad, the third grader got loose. And then Francine follows up because, um, for, you know, Catherine is much less diplomatic in telling her that she doesn't want Francine at her birthday. And Francine says, you know, I would. it's like, I'll, I'll have my own birthday party and won't invite you. And Catherine says, oh, I'm sure it'll be great at the petting zoo. And Francine says, Dad, Catherine's being ironic. <laughs> so, yeah, Francine is really crushed. She thinks that Catherine doesn't want her around. Uh, when she's recapping this to her friends, we get some other mean things that Catherine has done, which we've seen the two of them at odds throughout the show. Sometimes Catherine is a decent older sister, but most of the time they are two very strong personalities who don't get along super well all the time. But these are specifically things that Catherine has done to Francine. So when Francine was very young, like maybe two years old or something, she told her that a monster lives in the tub and made her afraid of taking baths. We see another part here where Catherine is doing Spanish homework with that friend who I mentioned, and they just insult her in Spanish and don't tell her what it is. And then uh, the final one is that Catherine and her friends play freeze tag with Francine and then Catherine freezes her, and they just leave her frozen. To which Binky says, that's mean. I'll have to remember that. Well, and these get, like, basically these ideas of how to get back at Catherine, you know, start with bodily harm, and then evolve <laughs> into sheer psychological torment. Not to be, you know... Right. I don't, I don't know, I don't want to get too dark on our kids' podcast here, but some of the bullying that Francine considers imparting on Catherine is the kind of stuff that, like, puts teenage girls in a very dark place. Like, this gets pretty extreme pretty quickly. Right. Well, let's get to that in just a minute. I wanted to ask you, we get a brief flashback. We see, like, two- or three-year-old Francine in the story about the monster in the tub. But we also see younger Oliver Frensky. How about his hair? He looks like a, um, <laughs> I don't know why, but it dates his polo. I feel like that's the polo he always wears. But mm. seeing him with hair, he looks like he's on Martin or something. <laughs> yeah, a little a little bit. It's, it's, it's a lot more hair than we're used to seeing him with. So, yes, Francine is trying to figure out a plan to get back at Catherine. Let's talk about the plans that Buster, Binky, and Muffy come up with. So the first one, Buster suggests... And I actually think this is a pretty decent plan. Buster suggests putting a stinky cheese into Catherine's jacket, which will make everybody avoid her. I tried to look this up on Google. I couldn't tell what Buster says. He said, like, foo beloy? I've never heard of this cheese before. Yeah, the stinkiest cheese ever. Uh, let's I, I see. looked up some Google lists of, like, the stinkiest cheese, and there's nothing that sounded like... Foo Boloy or whatever I, he said. I typed in stickiest cheese and I'm seeing Foo Bologna. Foo Bologna. I think here, this is how okay. it's spelled. Well, I'm going to send this yeah. to you over Skype. Cause yeah, this was the first one to come up. I think this is what he was talking about here. Oh, you found, you found it right away. Excellent. Oh, okay. View. Okay. Or view. Uh, Foo Bologna. See, it's a Bologna? French cheese, not an Italian cheese. So I don't know nothing Ooh. about it. Um, it's an unpasteurized, unpressed cow's milk cheese. Famed for its strong smell. I've never been around a lot of stinky cheeses, so when people say that, I'm just like, hey, well, is it, does it smell bad, or is it just strong scented? Pun- pungent. Pungent mm. is the word. That's because it looks pretty tasty. I could go for some cheese. Um, they d- they decide not to do this, but it reminds me, you, you ever see that vine that's like that guy being like, you want to get back at your parents? Put a glass of milk in their room? Let that sh- curdle. Let the yeah. bodies hit the floor. <laughs> reminds me of that a little bit. Binky's idea is that Francine pull off this like Mission Impossible style stunt where she sneaks into a bowling alley and applies glue to Catherine's bowling ball. when And so her fingers get stuck. And we even see in this imagination... Catherine goes to bowl it, and 
Her whole body goes down the lane, and then we even see it later, and her hand is stuck in the bowling ball at dinner. Okay, this, so... This is the bodily harm you were talking about. Well, yeah, so this is how the revenge starts, right? So, remember, the worst that Francine had to suffer is that maybe her her older sister doesn't want to hang out with her, and also her older sister made her, like, freeze outdoors, okay? Not right, nice, yeah. right? So, th- let's, let's, you know, eye for an eye, right? So first suggestion is to probably give Catherine a concussion, if not break her neck, okay? This is like a Johnny Knoxville stunt. She's going to sustain serious injuries getting bold, okay? Yeah. Um, And to make matters worse, Will, you know, only her body, and maybe a little bit of embarrassment of getting bold, okay? But only her body is getting harmed in this imagination sequence. Yeah. The, the next suggestion, which is even more demonic, uh, is <laughs> Buffy proposes that she basically gaslights Catherine into meeting up with her, like, matching up Catherine uh, with, what's his name? I wrote it down. Oh, Sean. Sean. Yeah. Okay. So, first of all, Sean, throwaway character, yes. of, the, throwaway character of the week. Okay. Uh, the first time they've made... A 16-year-old boy, a literal rat. Uh, and Sean just so looks like like perfect casting, casting, perfect character design for yeah. who Catherine would be into. Like, that's really funny. Um, and Sean looks 16. Like, it just, Sean's hilarious. I want to see more from Sean. It's a very but, good design. So Buffy, always the matchmaker, wants to matchmake kind of Catherine and Sean by planting notes, like love notes from one another. And they meet in a back alley. And then the plan is to live stream this encounter by hacking into the bowling alley's, like, security system to everyone at the party, okay? Of them, like, whispering sweet nothings and doing kissy faces at each other. Um, which is probably the worst thing you could possibly do to a teenage girl. Like, this oh is, my god, okay. this, is hu- this is humiliating. Totally humiliating. In front of her, all of her peers, you know, this is something that would haunt someone for life. Mm-hmm. Um... And you're but, thinking to yourself, okay, well, surely the real plan that Francine's actually going to do can't be worse than this. But it is. So the, the, that plan gets shot down because it relies on the bowling alley having, like, a back alley and security cameras. And they everybody knows that they don't actually have that. So, yeah. Um, I do want to just quickly give a descriptor to Sean. Because, as you said, Lucas, it's a terrific design for, like just a, t- a teenage boy it, he's a rat with floppy blonde hair that goes over his forehead a backwards baseball cap and he's got a t-shirt with a kanji on it it's mwah, love it um we also see in these in a couple of these and eventually we see this uh connection here between Catherine and alberto they're apparently like close to the same age and friends friends enough that alberto is going to her birthday party so that's a, that's a little, little bit interesting. But Lucas, why don't you get into the plan that Francine decides to go with at this at this bowling party that is that Catherine's birthday is? Yeah, so the plan Francine actually embarks on and we kind of we we get this plan kind of uh, after the fact, right? Like it's in. Francine telling the story of what actually happened at the bowling alley. And Francine is reading, reading out, I can't even say it, it's so horrible, reading out (laughs) her sister's diary to the party. Like I said, Will, this is like the kind of stuff that gets teenage girls to change schools. Like nothing that Catherine did to Francine, uh, you know, garnered such a response. And we saw we saw they set this up earlier with Catherine using her or writing in her diary and Francine kind of locks the door behind the DJ, which a live DJ at a bowling alley. I wonder if they still do that. Yes, they it do. Feel- I, I had a friend oh, who DJ to bowling alley. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that rocks. Awesome. Uh, and Francine is fully ready to to do this and Catherine's like banging on the window just like please please don't do this please don't do this and it does feel like quite an escalation but eventually 
we cut from the present moment in the DJ booth to later, Francine relating the story to her friends, and she says that she eventually decided not to do it. She had a in the in the, in that moment she had a change of heart because she didn't want to make Catherine feel the way that Catherine made her feel. And so she decides to not read from the diary. She gives it back to uh, Catherine and wishes her a happy birthday over the microphone. But the end of this episode is she doesn't get off quite so easily, Catherine. Francine quickly goes back into the DJ booth to get her backpack. And then she says into the microphone, Catherine loves Sean. And then Catherine chases her out of the bowling alley angrily. So didn't read her diary. But that's still very awkward for both of them, certainly. Yeah, I, I just, again, nothing as bad, uh, nothing that Catherine did to Francine was as bad as that. Yeah, I agree with you. And there we have it. That's the first episode of Arthur Season 18. Let's roll it back here. Lucas, um, the friend who wasn't there, how, how, how was this for you for the, for the first episode of the season? You know, it's a Muffy episode. I enjoyed it. I think the friend who wasn't there, uh, I really liked a lot of the episodes, you know, listening to our top fives. I liked a lot of the episodes last season, but something last season was missing was the more impressionistic, weird, dreamlike episodes of Arthur where kind of anything is possible because they're not set in reality. Uh, So I thought this was a great return to form in that respect. Um, sure, in terms of moral uh, and kind of plot structure, uh, it's just kind of like lame with how it wraps up. And it's like, oh, this was your missing, uh, um, this was your missing imaginary friend the whole time. But uh, I think because that, that's not really what the episode is for. In terms of showing me kind of wacky characters and situations, uh, mm-hmm. it was hitting all the right notes. So I enjoyed it. I'm kind of in the middle on it. Like, I don't think it's bad or anything, but I feel that I would have liked it better if the, if Waldo the elephant was a bit more of a personality. He was kind of, yeah, like nothing happening there. I think the setup for it is interesting and it does go to some very creative places. And I think, and I'm glad that you said that because I think that that's a good point that sometimes we get away from Arthur being as creative as we know it can be. So I, I think I do appreciate that a bit, a bit perhaps distantly maybe. And yeah, I just kind of thought that the middle of this could have been, it could have been better if we had more of a personality to play off of Muffy. I kind of thought that Waldo was a little bit annoying and, it, and Hey, <laughs> I know we do this from time to time, but it's like, listen, I'm not saying it's any great thing that I'm, I'm not saying that like I was smarter than the children's television show, but it's like right away. I'm just like, Oh, you're, 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 you're Oswald. Got it. Okay. But Hey, it's an 11, we're halfway through an 11-minute episode, so don't worry. It was going to come out regardless. So, yeah, I, I just thought it was fine. Um, surprise, I I liked. I, I think that it was very interesting. I always appreciate going to character dynamics that we are in the background and maybe we kind of don't think about. So Francine and Catherine, I always like them revisiting that, especially... I, I think we both enjoy it when we have this, the storylines where the siblings are surprisingly nice to each other, and I do like that. But this is also realistic about their relationship, which is that they're often at odds with each other. And I just think that it's very um, novel at this point to see them interact with each other. We don't, We just don't really get all that much Catherine because... It's it's that that's a that's a different show altogether. We could do a Catherine show. I think we've talked about that before, but there were some funny lines in here. Always loved seeing Oliver Frensky. Uh, just the the ideas behind it of like how Francine could get a revenge was interesting. I thought that the way that it ended up was a little bit meh. Like Francine just deciding not to do it. I I, I didn't even feel like we needed to put a moralistic element here. I, I guess at the end we had to, but, you know, we could have just had some other thing happen or I, I feel like we could have gotten to this same place a little bit, uh, a, I don't know, a little bit, a little bit better or not, nah, it's not bad, not better. I shouldn't say that, but the way that we got there felt like it was wrapping up very quickly. So, yeah, it, it's, it's I, I'm, I'm higher on it than the first one, but it's, you know, it's, it's just pretty good. 
I'm not higher on it than the first one, but I pretty much agree with everything you said. Not an unenjoyable episode. And focusing on a relationship that me and you always want to see more of, Francine and Catherine. Catherine's an interesting character because it's always interesting to hear from the teens and Arthur. Where yes. it, whether it's um, you know Arthur's neighbor or Muffy's brother or Catherine and her crew. Uh, of course, <laughs> we have the introduction of Sean, who well, I hope—I don't think Sean— he kind of speaks, right? He's briefly is like whispering sweet yeah, nothing. Yeah, to yeah, he has, he has, he has like a line of like like Hey, am I am, am I in there anywhere? You know, pretty pretty typical, <laughs> but, but nerdy. We want to see more. We want to see more of Sean. Why did he buy that T-shirt? Uh, what's up with Sean? Uh, but yeah, like in terms of this episode itself, kind of found it hard to pay attention in the middle a little bit. Um, certainly, the highlight is when they're all concocting their kind of. Uh, struggle sessions for Catherine to totally humiliate her in front of her peers. Uh, I think that is pretty much um, the highlight, given how just intense and psychologically damaging it would be. Uh, but everything else, just kind of a middling episode. Well, it's not the most uh, auspicious debut of the season, but we've had plenty of those before, and I'm sure that there's going to be quite a bit throughout the remaining episodes that we can get into. So please join us for those. I'm leaving a couple of things to the end here. We're st- we've still got a little bit left. Not much, but d- given when this episode when this episode is going to be coming out on the free feed, I think it's appropriate now to say that this is seven years of this show. August 19th, 2016 was when we started Elwood City Limits, and the show in just a few days after you're hearing this is seven years old. Can you believe it, Lucas? Wow, can't believe it. That's crazy. Soon the show's going to be able to vote. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's beyond my... Uh, who would have thought that we'd be signing up for seven years? You ever hear the song Seven Years by Seosin? I don't expect you have. I uh, have not, no. Okay, well, that's the theme of the week. Because uh, seven big ones, <laughs> and wow, what a seven years they were. Never a dull moment. Thanks to you, the Elwood City faithful, and of course, thanks to you, Will, for making it so gosh darn enjoyable. It has been a really great seven years. It's impossible to put it all here at the end of the episode. But we do want to say thank you, first off, to everybody who has listened, who has subscribed, who has shared this show with friends, um, who has supported us in every way in the past. If you voted for us in the Best of Halifax Awards, thank you. Thank you for your, for your feedback, for pushing us to grow and to become a better show. Thank you, everybody. Seven years. And we're not done yet. We've still got quite a bit longer to go. And I wanted to leave this until the end because this is going to take a minute or two. I wanted to, for our seventh anniversary celebration, I'm going to very quickly read off the names of everybody who is currently supporting us on patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. So, from the top, Lee N.S., John Dulong, Ian Collis, Teresa, John Griswold, Chander Lefebvre Boten, Stella, Ross Ward, Christine Wong, Riley Stevens, Macy Ball, Jake Bailey, Kevin Noon, Caitlin Harrington Robinson, Shayna Bennett, William Moore, Muppet Baby Cat, Sierra S., Rachel Pearson, Marlo Stanfield, Peebs, Matt, Andrew Power, Lily W., Yoshi, Christine Les Cody, EJ Acra, Revd, Owen, Michelle Sprzynski, Ursula Cat, Lawrence, Valeria, Nicholas DeMarco, Allison Archambault, Robert Morrison, Bob Yee, Sydney Long, Greenhouse Vinyls, JHC, Vinny Cataldo, Kirsten, Emmy the Ghost, Aurora Borealis, Kelly Corbett, Baby Show Addict, Gabs, Veronica Tram, Eddie Castillo, Jay Wags RG, Anthony Williams, Lauren Rodriguez, Derek Wachopo, Zara, Young Wee, JP, Ricardo A. Soto, Richard Mortimer, Americana Dream, RPG Fiend, Katie, Jeffrey Norris, Rory Forever, Emma, Matt M, Jenny Cardenas, Katie P, Jack, Jeff L, David Corrales, Jared G, Ash, Wolf Lover Zodiac, Chloe, Dear Miss Elizabeth, Grace Cole, Maria Gisselquist, Cecil Robinson, Kaija, Melissa H, Mamada, Derek Watson Jr., Alex Kablentz, Nehemiah Unamuk, Alicia, Thunder Yetta, Ryui, Nick Vuono, Hay Strouder, Oscar Vest, Ben Spatal, Quantum Wave, Hannah Lee, Scott Ripley, Tiki Barber Fan, Ann Perry, Maisie Rose Sterling, Emily Kay, 
everybody else that I may have not included because you joined after the 9th of August and everybody who has supported us over the years on patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. And one extra thank you as well to RPG Fiend for boosting the ECL Discord to level one. <sighs> thank you, everybody, for keeping us going, whether that's with your money, your support, or your well wishes. It all means so much to us. And I'll just quickly say as well, for patrons, we have released our newest episode of ECL Origins, all about Reboot, the mainframe entertainment show as part of our two-parter. The second part is coming later this month. Please check it out. We had a great time making that episode. And patreon.com slash Limits if you want access to all of our extra content. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> we are continuing on with Season 18, Lucas. And the next time, it's going to be The Case of the Girl with the Long Face and the Substitute, Arthur. Seven years. Seven years. It's, uh, it's, I, uh, I, I don't even know what to say. It's, I, I feel like I've probably said it in every single anniversary we've had. And I've already said thank you enough. But I do want to say, before I forget, Lucas, thank you for seven great years. It's been wonderful becoming better friends with you and seeing you grow into an even an even better uh personality co-host uh co-partner uh over the years and i there there is there is literally nobody else i'd rather be doing this with without you ecl doesn't happen if i'm the co-host you're the host with the most uh so oh captain my captain is what i say to you and before we make everybody turn this podcast off uh, for us being too sappy with one another uh, how do we end this thing every week thank you everybody for listening to Elwood City Limits my name's Will Young and for Lucas Mancini if only we were shopping for my birthday and not Francine's we'll see you next time and thanks for seven years